Let's read it together. So it's Ephesians chapter 2, and we're starting at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression, transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for what we've just been singing about, reading about and we pray that you would extend that grace to us now. And we pray that you would help us to not just understand what we're reading, but to show that we understand it by being utterly amazed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, smugness is not a good quality, is it? Does anybody like smugness? You sort of go, well, that's, that's what I really look for in a friend or, or somebody to look up to. Uh, in politics, it's been called the worst insult. If you label your opponent smug, there's just no way back from that. It, it sticks. It's a really unattractive thing. As someone who's giving off the sense they're just really chuffed to bits with themselves, with everything they are, with everything they do, with the things they've done. As they say with their smug face, I've done this for myself. My dad uh, used to quote... Bing Crosby's song about O'Sullivan. I don't know if you know this song. The man who is so strong, he could put his right hand in his own left pocket and hold himself out at arm's length. That idea of being completely self-sufficient. There's nothing holding me up. I can just hold myself out at arm's length. That sort of, I'm so self-sufficient. I'm so strong. I'm so self-satisfied and smug. I was reading an article about... Uh, the philosophy of smugness for some reason, and it was about why we find it so awful. And the, the, the professor writing it said this, it's hard to imagine a form of smugness more extreme than that of those religious believers who are utterly convinced that they number among the blessed while everyone else is damned. You see, it's hard to imagine anything more smug than someone who thinks they are saved. That kind of religious smugness. That look at me, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. And I have to say, I agree. This bit of the Bible that we're looking at, the little bit that's on this sort of mustard yellow card thingy, 
is a bit like a pin to burst a bubble of smugness. If there's any part of us that feels smug about our salvation, then Ephesians 2 verse 8 is supposed to absolutely rid us of that. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. There's no room for smugness in that verse, is there? There's no room for smugness if we're saved by grace through faith. This whole letter of Ephesians, if we were doing it in a, a bigger chunk, it, it's setting out God's massive plan for the whole universe to unite everything under Jesus. How now he's the focus. How it's through him that everything is being put right into a right relationship with him again, including us. And he has saved Christians in a way that makes that the case, where now it's all about him. It turns us inside out, so we're not smug and making it about us. Instead, it's about him, because he saved us by grace, through faith, not from ourselves, but a gift. And so that's why we've um, included this among the memory verses that we're doing this summer, because this is the sort of verse that if we really grasp it, if we really let it sink into us, it can really change us. It can really change our outlook. Bless you. It can change us. It can change everything about the way we see ourselves and the way we see the world. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. This is a great one, a great bit of the Bible to help you understand what is at the heart, this revolutionary truth of the message of Jesus that being saved is entirely God doing it, not us. So we're going to look at this verse and focus on two big things in the verse, how we're saved by grace and how we're saved through faith. So that's what we're going to, we're going to be focusing on. So first things first, saved by grace. For it is by grace you have been saved. Now that's a really obvious, obvious point if you're a Christian, it ought to be, uh, but it's worth repeating. Paul's already said it back up in verse 5 talks about what God has done for us, making us alive. And then he just has to add, it is by grace you have been saved. It's the sort of thing that bears repeating. Grace, as Robin was helpfully saying earlier, it's undeserved kindness. Grace is being treated better than we deserve. It's being given something we haven't earned. That is what grace is. To say we are saved by grace is to say that we don't do it, God does it. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, we don't merit it, we don't win it. It is done for us and given to us. And in a way that's implied, isn't it, in the word saved. You don't save somebody who can sort themselves out. That's not what saving is. Uh, You might be helping them or lending a hand, but if we save... That is having somebody do something for you that you need them to do for you. You can't save yourself. And that's made very clear that we can't save ourselves by the verses just before this, some of the stuff that Roger read out. Just take a look at our situation at the start of chapter 2. It says, as for you, so we've got this big plan of God, well, where do we fit in? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We were dead. We weren't just sick or a little bit off colour. We were spiritually 
dead. We were cut off from God. We were without real spiritual life in us. Now, you can't get much less uh, self-helpable than being dead, can you? And that is where we were. That is where everybody is as we sin, as we transgress, break God's laws. Far from following God, what were we following? In verse 2, we were following the ways of this world, the way that everybody does things, a world that's opposed to God. We were just following that. And we were following, carrying on that verse, following the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That is Satan. We're following his ways. And verse 3 says we were gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Our flesh isn't so much our bodies, it's our sinful nature, our wrong motivations. That's a really deadly mix, isn't it? To be saying, what were we like? Well, we were following the world, the flesh and the devil. We were following anyone and everybody except the Lord. That was us. And that meant, end of verse 3, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Living like that rightly offends a holy God. He ought to be furious about it. And he was. It's what we deserved. So if we are wanting to be smug, if we're wanting to earn stuff for ourselves, congratulations, this is what our lives deserve. The anger the judgment, the wrath of Almighty God. So if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, that is where you are right now. And I don't say that in a smug way, because if you are here as a Christian, that is where you were. That is what we deserve. And if we've really got that, if we've really grasped the depth of the problem then we might just start to understand it's only by grace, isn't it, that anybody could possibly be saved. Somebody who is in that situation, spiritually dead, deserving of wrath. We couldn't suddenly go, well, I was a little bit bad, so I'll try and be a little bit better. No, I was dead. I was sinning. I was deserving of wrath. I was heading for hell. I was absolutely incapable of sorting it out. I didn't even want to sort it out. I didn't recognize my dreadful situation that's where we were so if it wasn't for grace we would be utterly hopeless and yet this verse tells us doesn't it that christians are saved that that's not our situation anymore that horrible situation we've been rescued from it how by grace by grace by god saving us when we did not deserve it. It can only be grace, can't it? His mercy, his love, his generosity. The fancy word monogism, that idea of saying this is a one-sided thing, his efforts on our behalf without our help. There's another view of synergism, where he does something, we do something, we kind of synergy, we kind of work together. You hear synergy, it's quite a nice sort of businessy word, isn't it? So we all work together. The opposite of synergy is monogism, as in, no, we don't work together, we do nothing, he does it all. That's what it is. It is by grace you have been saved. We could not do it ourselves, and so he did it, he saved us. The Lord Jesus came, he came, and on the cross he took that wrath that we deserved. 
He experienced it in our place to take it away, to break down the barriers between us and God. He died for us. He gave his life for us. And then he gave us life, verse 5. Have a look in verse 5. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. We were dead. We were helpless. And he made us alive. Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that an amazing thing? There's a resurrection in the heart of every believer. This single-handed work of God. Why would he do that for us? Why would he take it? Not just we were dead through no fault of our own and he helped us. No, we were dead because we did that to ourselves. Why would he do anything about that to help us? Well, verse 4 gives us the answer. Having outlined our situation, verse 4 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. He loves us. Not just a little bit. He has great love for us. He shows us mercy. Again, not just a little bit of mercy. He's rich in mercy towards us. He's lavishly generous. Salvation is about God showing us just how gracious he is. Verse 7 reveals a bit more of his motivation in rescuing sinners. Verse 7 says that he did it in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. God wanted to demonstrate his grace. He didn't want to just feel gracious towards us or think merciful thoughts about us. He wanted to reveal to the world how incomparably rich, how matchlessly massive is his love. And what better way to demonstrate that than to take the worst of rebels, people opposed to him, ungratefully raging against him, and showering them with kindness. And this is telling us in verse 7 that that one day in the coming ages, the whole universe is going to stop and stare at the astonishing grace of God. And we get to do that now. Ephesians, like I said, it's it's giving us the whole big plan of God and saying, look, this is what he's doing in the world. And you get to know that now, that it's all about showing the world how amazingly gracious he is. And I do think that's one of the big applications of this verse. Let's stop and marvel at it now. Marvel at the grace of God. If you're a Christian, just see what he's done for you. Look at it. Make that the focus of our attention. Isn't it absolutely glorious? You have been saved by grace. We were dead and we're now alive. We were following the world, the flesh, the devil. Now we are seated with Christ in heaven, this tells us. We were deserving of wrath, but we've been shown mercy. Just over and over, these amazing contrasts because of our wonderful Saviour. So as we try to learn this verse, you might think, well, I don't need to learn it. Robin's done a very good job. I've already got this off by heart now. But still, why not take one of these and stick it somewhere you're going to see it? Take a few of them. We've got, I think, all about 200 and something. But anyway, why don't you take a load of these, stick them everywhere around the house so that you can go, oh, yeah, 
That's what it is. I'm, I'm at work and I'm trying to succeed and I'm trying to get ahead and I'm trying to... Hang on, it's grace. It's not by earning it, it's by grace. Or we're doing stuff around the house and we're feeling overwhelmed. It's by grace. I don't need to do anything. I get to do things, but I don't have to do things. It's by grace. This is a mind-blowing thing. A mind-blowing thing. But how do we get in on this? Perhaps uh, if you're here, you're, you're not a Christian, you're thinking, okay, salvation by grace, that's not what I thought it was. That's not necessarily the impression Christians always give off. Um, if this is nothing to do with us, well, how do I get in on it then? If this is just God is so gracious, is it, is it, does it come to everybody, regardless of what we think about it? Well, no, the, the second key thing from that memory verse is that we're saved through faith. Saved by grace, saved through faith. And that is straight out of the verse, isn't it? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That is how God's grace comes to us, through faith in Jesus. That's the pipeline, if you like, that it flows to us. Everything we need to be saved is right there in Christ and it gets applied to us as we grasp hold of him in faith. So picture a person who's drowning in the sea. They're about to go down under the waves and then a helicopter appears overhead. A member of the Coast Guard throws down a life buoy on a rope for you to grab onto. And as you cling onto that, the rescue that they did is now yours. Faith is that holding on to Jesus as our rescuer. We're saved through faith. But we're not saved by faith. Sometimes people say that as a shorthand, salvation by faith, saved by faith. And, it, and, and I'm not trying to be pedantic, although it might sound like I am. Uh, it's not quite right, almost right. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a subtle difference. But if we were saved by faith, that's putting the ball in our court. As if that's the reason we're saved. But we've already seen the reason we're saved is nothing in us. It's nothing in us that makes God save us. Faith isn't why God saves us, it's how he saves us. Why he saves us is grace. If we were saved by faith, we could still be smug, couldn't we? We could be that person drowning, but who makes it safely to shore and says, I was saved by my amazing rope-grabbing abilities. I reached out, I grabbed it, I held on, I trusted it. It's a good job I was there, isn't it? To hold on. Isn't that good of me? that I did that. If we're saved by faith, we'd be saying, look at my faith, Look how, that's how I did it. When no, it is all grace, it is all him. Faith is just the means by which that salvation comes to us. But our smugness, uh, it runs deep, doesn't it? And so we're going to take that faith and even turn that into a work, into a thing that we do, that we can say that we earned it. But faith is not a work. Faith is the absence of work. It's trusting. It's relying on somebody else to do the work. It's the drowning person relaxing into the grip of the Coast Guard who has them. We are saved through faith in the grace which saves us. And the second half of our verse just... Uh, knocks any other thought out of our head. It takes away any idea that faith is how we save ourselves. So um, we're going to read this again out loud together, but just note everything after the little dash. Let's read this together. For it is by grace you have been saved 
through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Where does our faith come from? Is that something we naturally have? Is that something we muster up from inside us? No, this faith is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. Faith is not an ability we possess. It's not a, a feat we accomplish. I'm just a very faithy kind of person. I'm, a very, I'm just credulous. I'm just so trusting. I trust, I trust God. That's just the kind of person I am. No, it's not that, is it? Faith is a gift, and you can't be proud of a gift. That doesn't make any sense. You could be proud of something you made or something that you bought for yourself, but if it's a gift, then someone else made it, somebody else bought it, somebody else gave it to you for free. You can't take credit for that. And that is how salvation comes to us. It is free, gratis, for nothing. As a gift, God's Spirit awakens us, brings us life. As a gift, He opens our eyes so we see our sin, we see His holiness, we see the difference there. As a gift, He makes us understand our need. As a gift, He reveals to us what Jesus has done. He illuminates our minds so we understand it. As a gift... He creates a new appetite in us, so we actually want salvation. As a gift, he enables us to value Jesus properly and reach out for him. Even our faith in God is a gift from God. And that is so encouraging and massively humbling, which is the point. Our memory verses, uh, our little cards end with a dot, 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 at the end, but the sentence carries on into verse 9. By all means, we can learn that as well if we want to. And it tells us why did God do it that way? He could have saved us anyway. Why did he do it that way? Well, it's by grace you've been saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. God wanted to make sure that none of our salvation was done by us, so that we couldn't be smug about it. So that we'd have nothing to boast in. No goodness, no nothing. It's all a gift. All the glory, all the credit goes to him. And then later on in our lives, when, when our, our lives start to change, when this faith starts to produce works in us, even that is him as well. Have a look down at verse 10 if you've still got the passage open. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he's saying salvation isn't by works, quite the opposite. We are God's work. It's not something we do for him, it's something he does. He does it. He made us. He remade us in Jesus so that we would do good. Yes, but it's the good he's prepared for us to do, which he enables us to do. It's all him, so that no one can boast. We are not the mighty O'Sullivan, the person who can put his right hand in his own left pocket and hold himself out at arm's length. You know, we are not holding ourselves up. Everything we do, even our strength and our good things, is him holding us up. 
And so we praise him. We praise him. We don't get smug and praise ourselves. We praise him. Now these truths that we're saved by grace, saved through faith, those are things which can change everything. Change our whole outlook. And so in a way it's hard to pin down a kind of application. So what are we going to do with this verse? Everything. The whole Christian life flows out of this verse. But, but let's just focus just for a minute on our relationships, on how we, we, how we deal with each other. Because that's where the passage goes next, verse 11 to the end of the chapter, is about how it doesn't just fix our relationship with God, grace fixes our relationship with each other. Because if God has been gracious to us, we can be gracious to others. If God has saved somebody like me, well, then he can save somebody like them. If everything that I've been given is a gift, well, then I can be generous with others. I'm not better than anybody else. Uh, some of you might have gone, um, gone out into the hills and things like that this summer. In a sense, we got the cable car to the top of the mountain. So we can't look down the mountain sneering at people who are struggling to climb up. We didn't get where we are because we're great climbers, (laughs) because we're so good at doing. We got the cable car to the top. We cheated. And and so these other people who are struggling down there, of course they are. We couldn't have done that ourselves either. We don't see people messing up and go, you failure. We see them messing up and go, oh, wow, me too. (laughs) That's, That's just me as well. And we share Jesus with them as the gift they need, whether they are a Christian who needs to be reminded of that truth or not a Christian who needs to know it. We can forgive. We can restore. Because we know what that's like. Grace frees us up to befriend other people instead of competing with other people because we don't need to prove ourselves anymore. We don't need to give the appearance of perfection or being omnicompetent. We can be honest because it is by grace we've been saved. And all of that stuff is absolutely true in our relationship with God. If we can treat other people like that, just think about how much more so that's how he treats us, how he thinks of us. He doesn't go, you absolute idiot. No, he's gracious to us. He has great love towards us. And we can approach him freely. This whole letter of Ephesians unpacks how that message of grace transforms our lives, our churches, our homes, our families, our friendships, our marriages, our workplaces, our communities. Our lives change the more we really believe this. And that's true whether this is none of this was news to you, you'd heard it all before, or whether you're someone who came in today totally new to all of this, somebody walking into the room no idea about it or certainly not believing it anyway. But if you're hearing this and starting to think, I wonder if that's true. I think I hope it's true. (laughs) Well, then that may well be God doing a work in your life, giving you faith. If you're starting to say, well, yeah, that, that, that situation about my sin, I think that does describe me. I do see that, and I, I don't think I can sort myself out. If somebody else, if Jesus would come and do that for me, that sounds great. Well, then receive that gift. Trust in him. Trust in him. If he's doing that in your heart, giving you faith, we'll say, well, I trust you. I'm sorry for my sin. I do deserve your wrath. I thank you for this 
gift, this grace of Jesus doing it for me. Teach me more about what it means. Help me to change as I live now for you, not for me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, means whoever we are, whatever we have done, we can be saved right now. If you are trusting in Jesus, this has happened to you. It is hard to imagine a form of smugness more extreme than those of religious believers who are utterly convinced that they number among the blessed while everyone else is damned. That would be true if we were saved by works, wouldn't it? I'm a goodie, you're a baddie. But this isn't that, is it? We're saved by grace. Let's see if we can remember this amazing verse. Oh, it's gone. It's gone. Let's see if we can remember this verse together. I'm not even going to look at it either. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 2 verse 8. Well done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to acknowledge the truth before you that left to ourselves we were dead. We were sinners. We were heading for your wrath. But because of your great love, you've saved us by grace. You've given us faith. And so we thank you for that this morning. We pray that would sink in once again for us, that we would um, be so grateful for all that you've done. Please would you let this grace transform us more and more. And would each of us this day come to experience that grace for ourselves. And we say this in the praise of your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.